All right, time to kick it with your best friends in the singing industry. You know, the mates who know some stuff, but you can still have a pint with. It's the Naked Vocalist Podcast with Chris Johnson and Steve Giles. Welcome, everybody. We are here with David and Laurel from Voice Science Works and, of course, my co-star, Steve. We're in the basement of a London boozer. How does it feel? <laughs> Warm and great. And, <laughs> and boozy. I've yeah. never heard the term boozer used for a bar. So I'm This is it. Now. <laughs> I'll meet you down at boozer. <laughs> okay, we have done that. <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah we, we, like, we like to take all of the natural light out of the situation just to, <laughs> just to bring you down a bit more. Um, yes. But yes, uh, thanks so much for joining us. A subject that's close to our hearts, actually, from a lot of the training that we've done over the years. But also, there's so many people out there that are interested on many levels about voice science which is why this episode is going to be really exciting or which I quite like to pop in there that they might not know that they're actually excited about voice science until <laughs> here we go yes exactly that's where, that's where you come in you, you're going to spark the fire that continues to burn for years so yes uh, co-founders of voice science works um, had careers in your own right soprano I understand yes as a classical soprano yeah, done a lot of classical singing um, through school and now experimenting kind of all sounds of the voice, lots of contemporary classical, new works that explore, yes, all the wacky, weird, screamy stuff you can do. Right, <laughs> great. Yeah. So we'll have to yeah, we'll get some audio examples of that posted yes. on. <laughs> and David, you're on, the, you're on the choral side of things? Uh, that's, yeah, I have my doctorate in choral conducting, and, but also I'm a singer and, and write a lot of music, quite a bit of music, mostly for the voice. Um, in fact, Laurel premiered a piece of mine just a couple weeks ago at a festival, so yeah. Yeah, we do a lot of working together. And it's she also modestly avoids the fact that she sings pop music quite well as well. So. Oh, really? <laughs> it's a newer skill. Newer. Working in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to write yeah. for her voice because she can do anything. Wow. So how did Voice Science Works come about then? What's the story behind yeah, let's this? Go, let's go personal. <laughs> Zoom in. Yeah. Come on. How personal, <laughs> Steve? <laughs> Well, um, it's a great love story, as all voice science stories are. <laughs> um, we actually met at Ingo Tietz's Summer Vocology Institute in Salt Lake City four years ago. And we, David was there for the first chunk, and I was there for the three months. And within that three weeks, we fell in love with the topic and with each other. And by the end of that, we decided you know, we'd gone, done such a deep dive in the nitty-gritty and dissecting the larynxes and all these different um, intense studies of this information. And we walked away going, how can we now share this in a way that won't, that'll empower singers but not just drown them in this information. So you, that was You left out some of the fun details that Steve was looking oh, for. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the, yeah. <laughs> you want. Succinct and shareable, yeah? <laughs> you know what they want. Come on. I mean, the that, hashtag, right, yeah. That, that is a beautiful synopsis. That, that within, I think, three days of knowing each other, uh, we had both shared that we were eager to... We, we had both studied some voice science, but not at the level, of course, that we found when we studied with Ingo. And um, we both kind of shared that we had been looking for a way to, to bring this information online in a, a way that was kind of cut to the chase. How do we get to the, the details without having to wade through all of the muck that was in the books and things like that? Um, just the confusing stuff that only the academics want to read. Um, and at the same time, about 
two days after that, we went and saw a ballet, and um, there were some people in line. We ended up chatting to them. They said, come out and have a beer with us after, and then they invited us on a hike the next day, and a new guy came, and he said, as we were on the hike, he said, so when y'all get married, will you do it here in Salt Lake City? Yeah, so it feels like a lot of our relationship has been just this kind of, like, uh, perfect, like, uh, kismet or something. Like, yes. the path was laid out in front of us, and so we followed yeah. that idea of um, the website and of communicating these ideas in a kind of clarifying way um, about six weeks after um, that summer ended. Right. Um, yeah. I've been working at College of the Holy Cross, which is a liberal arts college outside of Boston, and invited Laurel um, to come and work with me there, and partially because I was having trouble not seeing her every day, and partially because <laughs> I had this job that I really needed her skill set for. And um, Yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and right. it was amazing, the work we were able to do together. Yeah. So we started, yeah, communicating it with choirs, just these little five-minute chunks. I would introduce a topic, give one exercise, and then David would incorporate it in the whole rehearsal. And those little chunks were like, this is, there's something here. What if we could give this to more people? And so the website was born out of that, um, making it all free and accessible and fun and colorful. And that, those were all our goals, to bring those elements to the science and to the learning process for singing. And she would, you know, we'd create these little 10 minute excerpts and at first it was like, you know, here the vocal folds are doing this and they'd all go, wow, that sounds cool, but what does it mean? And so <laughs> the further we got into it, the more we really again narrowed and narrowed and narrowed so that yeah. we could just bring the message forward in a really short amount of time and then I could start using it and then she was seeing them one on one so that she could ask, what of that did you get? And so we had this really cool kind of machine going. Yeah. And I've never, up to that point in my career, never experienced choral singing uh, advancing so quickly. Yeah. But in their the ability to sing music, to read music, to perform music, they were just, everything was elevated at such a high level. Um, and it just changed my whole thinking about a, a teacher and a conductor. And I, I gave up a lot of the kind of stress and control that conductors often have and teachers often have, and, and started letting them do the learning. Um, and, and the singing. And the singing, and the, yeah. yeah. And so it was just that whole, and it's continued. I mean, everything we've done since, we continue to release back into the performer, the singer, and giving them more opportunity to explore, and that just feels really good. That's, you know, people see science and they think, oh my God, you know, stay away, I don't do that. And we see it as this way to, you know, be so engaged and involved and, and love the experience and really create a synergy. Yeah, your own autonomy in it, yeah. Because mm -hmm. on, on that note about the, you say, the directors, the other directors, mm -hmm. um, there's a sense of control, you say, that they have. Is that, is that common? Is that something you see? And, and there may not be an answer to this, but I'd love to <laughs> get your thoughts. It, what would you suggest would be the reason for that control? And the feeling of, the sense of wanting to have control? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Maybe insecurity. It's, I think, I mean, you have more experience with that feeling of like, go, you know, <laughs> everyone come in and you, you really can't. You can't get in someone's throat and like move their muscles and make the vocal folds vibrate. But so you, letting go and letting them do that, I think, I think it comes down to feeling like, oh, what if I can't? Then maybe mm -hmm. I'm not enough and I didn't get them there. We feel that as teachers too, right? It's like, oh, if I don't make them make progress, it might even worth this hourly fee. You know, it comes so that turns into, um, then I better be sure I do. And oh. that 
I think, feedback. Yeah, and, and we race to the answer before we've given them a chance to explore the question. Yeah. And that, as a conductor, I mean, you just feel so much pressure because you have to do all of the things conductors have to do. You have to teach the music, you have to make sure they're behaving, you have to, you know, get them to sing together, you have to get them to like each other, you have to, <laughs> you have to do your own thing, you got to wave your hands and you're not making any sound, but you have to act, you know, somehow communicate sound and you have yeah. to know the music, you have to talk about it, you have to know if they're on the right notes and, you know, all of these things. Um, and it just feels like there's a never-ending cycle that you can't break. And, and like Laurel said, even in private voice teaching, we feel that way too a lot. You know, it's like, I, I've got to make this person make progress. Um, and again, so much about what we're discovering about the brain and about the voice tells us that patience, letting the person discover, setting up clear goals and parameters so that they understand where they're exploring, and then let, especially when they're in an ensemble, letting them explore that together. Um, they do all that work, which is their work to do anyway. Yeah. And my job becomes a guide. It becomes uh, a coach. It becomes a cheerleader. You know. And then all of my knowledge of all. You know. When, when I want to talk about Brahms, you know, I'll wait until you know they've done a lot of this work. They've explored a lot, and I'll say, and by the way, here's this really cool thing about Brahms. And I'll go, ah. And then they'll bring that into their own experience. You know, whatever. Um. And and that feels so good to me, because um. And and I totally place that at the feet of of the kind of science exploration we've been doing, um, it's freeing me from being this kind of neurotic control freak and letting me be a partner in their musical experience. That's, um, so, so there's a sense there of uh, the more that you know, the more you're allowed to um, allow them yeah. to do what they do. And that's, so, so on the teacher side of things, that's, that's helping the teacher. Uh, for you, in terms of um, the singer, how can you, aside from the, the, the teacher um, allowing the singer to do more, is there a direct benefit to a singer knowing more about the science? Well, I was, my first thought was connecting like the teacher letting the singer do more to maybe the singer letting the audience do more. Like mm. not like getting in there, I'm going to make you like this, <laughs> but just like <laughs> I'm here, I'm doing my experience and I'm inviting you in to participate with it. I mean, I see those two things exactly the same, communicating as a teacher and communicating as a performer. You're, you're offering what you can and letting someone else maybe come 70% and you're giving 30, you know, yeah. letting them come in. Um, but yeah, as far as, yeah, a singer knowing the science, we really like to, like, go back to the thought that it's not about knowing the science, as, as in science is this body of knowledge we all have to know and memorize, but just that science is a way to ask questions. Science is um, a measured way we can go about and investigate and be curious and share that in a way that levels it out and we can all participate in the same question. So I think that process is so beneficial as a singer and performer and artist who wants to be curious and find out more and discover themselves. Um, that it's not about getting to this place of knowing and I've got it. It's just being in that place of curiosity and questioning. And I think that's the best thing science can offer us. Mm. And I think, you know, what you said earlier about like letting a student absorb um, and that amount of time just kind of is dictated by the student and when they're ready for certain information, when they've managed to absorb it as in a perfect learning scenario. The same with, is with science, I think, when you just read a bit of it as a vocal coach 
we've all been there. You know, like, I remember when Ingo first did a presentation and he wrote some crazy symbols. Yeah. I'm out. On a board. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my good grief. I thought yeah. I should have gone to the other workshop. Yeah. yeah. I was seriously, and, and who'd have thought I'd love it after that ride, but I was yeah. seriously regretting sitting in the front row. <laughs> but it was so heavy for me at that time, and you couldn't force the knowledge into my head without me sitting yeah. and mulling it for a while. And do you know what? It's funny, when somebody says the word harmonic or formant and stuff, it's funny how many more times you notice it being said in elsewhere in the ether. You know, you just read stuff and you just skip past words. Yeah. You have no idea what that yeah. means. I don't even care. But then you suddenly, like you're reading through and you go, Foreman, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. I kind of remember that word. Yeah, and that leads you onto a path. That I actually know what that is now. Instead of being 15 words you don't understand, there's 13. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Progress, well, yes. And, and talk about the reading. Like, it's funny, I was speaking to a colleague of ours, an esteemed colleague of ours, and we chat a lot about uh, voice science and um, and I said you know we were talking about inertance which is the the um, acoustic force that helps the vocal folds vibrate coming from the top that kind of levels out the breath pressure from the bottom right yeah um, simple way to say it well it's a very complicated concept and I was saying what well, the the formula for this is you know uh, inertance over uh, 2 pi times the frequency gives you um, the total uh, uh, reactance versus compliance. And I'd he love said, to know how many people right. press pause. <laughs> <laughs> Just about, I don't even know, you said, pi crash, right? <laughs> That's what he said. He said, why pi? How do we just pull pi out of nowhere? Right? <laughs> how do you know when you just put pi anywhere, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so at some level, it's like figuring that out takes the formula, and then at another level, explaining it, if you say it, you know, <laughs> everybody shuts We're down. We're done, yeah. Right. Um, oh, vocal fold <laughs> closed up, yeah. Right. And so I, um, you know, I, when we talk about formants, for example, we, the first time we introduce it, we talk about bottles of water and air, and we blow air across the bottle, and we talk about, um, you, you know... You can perceive a pitch from that. You can perceive pitch from that, and we have... If you think about bottles of air that are in our throat and our mouth, they're going to uh, hold pitch and we thump our cheek, you know, and then we say, so you're, basically there's pitch in, uh, the air in your mouth has pitch, the air in your throat has mm -hmm. pitch. You just have to set it in vibration. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then we'll say, you know, there's a fancy word for that, it's formants, but I'm not going to use that word. We're just going to talk about the pitch of the air in your throat, the pitch of the air in your mouth. And then I won't say formants again to them until they say it back to me. Because along the way, I'm also asking them to read pages on the website and, and come back and tell me what they were curious about and this kind of thing. And eventually, they'll say, so that's the first format, and I'll say, okay, now I'll use that word. And so we really think hard about um, the fact that there are there's lots of words out there, like cricothyroid muscle, we say is the stretchy muscle. Because why colonize people's brains with cricothyroid? Because that's just a word they're going to trip over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but the function of it is critical, right? If we understand there's this muscle that stretches the vocal folds, and there's one that thickens it, and they work with each other kind of back and forth, well, that's something we can use and we can play with, we can imagine, we can... We can assign parts of the sound to that function yeah. and design exercises based on that. Yeah. yeah, and that's critical. And then they can do that because they understand stretch and thicken. And they, we can say... We're doing this exercise, why? What do you think we're after? You know, let's look at this in the voice analyzer. How can you see what's going on? Can you tell which of those muscles is dominant right now based on what we're seeing? And, and they can tease that apart. But if you say, is your cricothyroid dominant? They're gone, right? <laughs> and even people who know what cricothyroid is tend to be gone because we have no relationship yeah. with cricothyroid. No, of course. Mm. Yeah, there's just, not, there's just not the feedback from it to give you 
the right. literally proprioception or indication directly. Right. So it's hard to it's hard to hold on to, isn't it? People feel so much more tangible with harmonics; they can understand harmonics, mm -hmm. but. Former, a formant is so less, yeah. uh, you're so less able to hold that in your hand and yeah. say, this is a physical thing. No, it's, yeah. it's a potential. <laughs> and that's where I got so lost with it. It's the potential for something, which I find really hard to name. Oh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. even exist yet. Yeah. 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 So you start your, start your workshop with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to like use the words trust me yeah. Yeah. in a way. I'm a doctor. I'm not yet. Not yet. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Well, in something like formats too, it's, it's a beautiful example of um, how voice science is such a broad topic that is never ending and continues to evolve because um, perceptually, People have talked about acoustics forever. I mean, we have we have written records from the 12th century about how people are talking about vocal acoustics, right? That's where head voice and chest voice come from. Those are vocal acoustic concepts first, and then they you became know, a metaphor. Yeah, a metaphor for the whole device. Um, but the um, when we talk about um, acoustics and um, formants in particular, the way most people talk about them now is as a frequency, right? So if we align the frequency in the format with the frequency in the harmonic, we get a boost, this kind of thing. But it's way more complex. They're, they're really frequency peaks, right? So it's a buildup of energy toward this peak. So they're actually uh, creating uh, energy boost across all the harmonics prior to, to them. That but it's even yeah. more than that because if we have a number of these, you know, every one of the energy peaks that we can excite um, then feeds back into an overall stability, which is feeding the vocal folds, which is helping them vibrate, and also encouraging them which uh, mode of vibration they're going to go into. So then it becomes this really cool kind of picture, and we can talk about each of them as contributing to the overall sound. And now we have this sense of support, we have this sense of engagement um, that, that's really encouraging to the body, rather than, what's well, another frequency? <laughs> it's like, I don't need any more frequencies. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't need another one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't fully say what it is. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's so yeah. It's, that, it's that equation, right? That I just yeah. exactly. And I, yeah, on that, I guess it's still a concept that people have to attach to, to then drive their behaviour. Mm. But for me, exactly everything you just said. Then, um, I, uh, the way I position that for singers is, it's going to encourage them to, and uh, not do, some other things. So in contemporary music. Uh, there is a thought, I mean, I've come across it tons, uh, which is uh, I have to blow lots of air yeah. and squeeze yeah. to make these notes happen. Yeah. When you say pressure, pressure, yeah. these love life, yeah. you know, it can create a different concept, yeah. which will just, if anything, take them away from that concept of... Squeezing and pushing. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And so, but on that, on that point, other singers, how, how, deep do, how, how deep do you think singers have to go into this stuff? I mean, to the point that it's helpful, um, but then I guess kind of asking yourself, like, well, well, could it be even more helpful? I think, I don't know, I think if you are able to distinguish the different kinds of learning that we have, like lots of people who talk about learning and um, brain plasticity talk about, you know, there's the know that information and the know how information. And so when we're in that know that place, sure, go as deep as you want. And we do our workshops, we go there, we're all in. We're like, this is know that time and we're just gonna help you with the know how. What are the details? Yeah, yeah. let's yeah. do it, let's get curious, let's really dig in. Um, but if you do all of your know that research, you find out that 
If you bring that energy into the know-how, you will gum yourself up. So we talk a lot about there's this case for being a stupid singer. Like, no, 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 don't tell them anything, they'll become worse. And that's only if they didn't do the research on how we learn, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, if you are the, the, tr the truly smart singer, will look into, oh yeah, well, in my learning process, I need to go into this know-how place and find ways to actually distract that part of my brain that uses a lot of language and uses judgment words like, no, that was bad, that was wrong, and wants to chatter and list and be logical. To find ways to use that part of my brain to develop a target and develop a goal, uh, distract it maybe with something physical or spatial or emotional that it can't do, and then let the habit happen in my body and the know-how part. Um, so I would say there's no limit of how much you can learn as long as you're able to realize there's a skill in switching back and forth in the kind of learning. Mm, that in that mindset. And you know what, there's, there's quite, there, I mean, we've spoken to quite a few um, people and one of them was Mary Beth Dame actually yeah. um, before. And I really loved her podcast. She's such a great lady. Um, and uh, it's that question of, and we, we, I'm sure we've all had this as coaches, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get excited and tell you loads of shit yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about voice science. And then, and then so about, I can understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. About 10 minutes later, I've realized I just totally fucked you over yeah. with, uh, with information. Because yeah. now you're thinking too much, right? And so Mary Beth's um, argument for that would be um, uh, a tennis player doesn't need a, a, ten a tennis coach doesn't need a tennis player to know the anatomy of their arm mm -hmm. and how it functions. Mm -hmm in order to hit a tennis ball. And so in, in that whole drip feeding of know that information, how do you determine when someone is ready for that yeah. based on the fact that they're just a singer? And we're talking like introducing actual scientific, scientific information that enhances learning rather than just leaves them in this pensive... Yeah. Right. Cave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're in the Florida yeah. cave at the bottom yeah. of the boozer. Yeah, at the bottom of the boozer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it leads you to it, but um, I, I would say to to give some even some different language that we use to the know that and the know how. Um, do y'all know Norman Doidge, Doctor Doidge's books? No. Um, I highly recommend the brain that changes itself right. and the brain's way of healing. The Brain's Way of Healing has a chapter dedicated to listening, which is massively important for our field. So even if you just got it and read that chapter, it's totally important and, and worth it. But um, he actually took our course, and we met him in Toronto, went over to his house, and we're playing After with Papa, the analyzer. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and he was like, so could I sound like James Taylor? And we're like, I don't know, let's try it. And so he was like, played James Taylor, and put headphones on, and, and in about 15 minutes he was sounding more like James Taylor. And so he got really excited about what we were doing with the analyzer. Um, anyway, in our workshop that he did, one of our online workshops, which we do regularly, um, it's cool because people all over the world kind of tune in and we yeah. do like hour and a half for four weeks um, every Monday at five or whatever. Um, and so we get these big international audiences and really cool people like him. And then afterward we kind of have a, a chat for whoever can hang out. And we were talking about the brain. And so if we think about like stereotypically people talk about the left brain and the right brain, right? The left brain is kind of militaristic and, you know, do these things and the right brain is all creative and fun. Um, and he was saying, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some credence to, to that. that. Yeah. Um, but the way he's started to think about it in his research is that the left brain is uh, kind of our, our regularity. It's our map. It's, it's how we know how to get where we're going. 
right? And our right brain is our is novelty. It's new information. So it's not that it's creative necessarily, because we need both of them for creativity. We need the map. We also need the novelty. But that, that map can overshadow our capacity to let new information in. Mm -hmm. So if you take singing, for example, because it's this very cantankerous and, and strange thing, and because there's so much pressure on all of us every time we open our mouths to be perfect, right? And that map also is connected to our judgment mind. So um, we, we go to our map and we go hard at it and we say, I've got to do this exactly by the numbers. And the judgment mind's standing there and saying, yes, you do. And it's judging you the whole time. So there's no room for the novelty to come in, right? So a singer who knows nothing about voice science is still going to experience that. But the singer who starts to bring uh, science and knowledge into their system is creating a map that's broader, a map that says, oh, well, there actually are quite a few different ways to adjust my vocal track, to adjust my vocal folds. And I kind of understand that. And I, I can give myself a little patience when this sound happens, or this sound happens, mm -hmm. because I know this kind of thing just went on, and that was one option, and now there are other options. So that now that know that is a broader map. It's a map that has room for patience. It's a map that says to the judgment voice, you know what, you're a part of this, but you're not everything. Yeah. And then it can allow for the um, new ideas, the novelty to come in. And that's where performance is really beautiful and where we want it to be. So because we know that, we help students create maps that are flexible, that give them space to explore, right. and then we help them create exercises based on that knowledge that open themselves to novelty. And so we talk about emotion, we talk about um, even sound making um, from a place that engages the brain in the way the brain learns, um, but also that allows for the whole brain and the whole body to participate. Um, and, and that to me is that's the benefit of the kind of science questioning that we uh, can uh, access versus the kind of don't tell them anything new. At that point, their map is small and they're going to be judgmental and there's no way out of it. And they're going to create ideas, right? I've never met a singer who doesn't want to tell you how their voice works, right? Yeah. They just tell you from a very limited place yeah. and so they make up most of it. Which is fine, that's what we do when we're trying, and especially if you've been a 20 year singer and you've had a career, right, and people are looking at you to know the answers, you're gonna make up all kind of shit because you can and because you, you need to, you to. feel pressure yeah. to. Yeah. And so there, there's never a singer who doesn't try and explain what's going on. Our goal is can we explain it in a way that creates flexibility and room for that novelty to enter in all the time? Right on. I think we should probably just finish there. I mean, that was... That was, <laughs> that was real good. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Really good. Swarmit Cave is just ringing. Yeah. A little bit happier than a cave. <laughs> great. You've, you've certainly lessened that thought in my yeah. mind. Um, what would be great actually right now then is, is we, we, you know, as with a lot of voice science, it's very much talking about and seeing examples. But as I know you do, you create experiences for people to create, make sound and see the result on things like spectrograms and whatever. Yeah. So w what are your favorite go-to exercises for singers and coaches for that matter to start to feel the concepts of voice science and how they limit or expand the voice? We're really into right now um Using the Voce Vista overtone analyzer tool as a way to create like individual personalized listening exercises. So it's where 
you know, you sing into it, we're able to filter out parts of the sound, amplify them or bring them down, and you listen back to that and your own voice becomes the model for what you might want to do. Rather than having to listen to the vocal coach so it's saying, no, it's like, oh, yeah, and you're yeah. like, ah. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You become the source. Yeah, you and, become but because of the model. But because Voce Vista is so flexible, we can adjust your voice to sound more like whatever your target is. If yes. it's Pavarotti or uh, Steve, um, Steve, <laughs> Jobs, <laughs> or whatever. Another very famous public figure. <laughs> Pavarotti and then yeah. always come up. Right? <laughs> you're, you're on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What those old, those old like '80s naked shots that you did? Yeah. <laughs> I was five years old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's cut that. That's the only part we're gonna use. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that is edit. I don't know. Mate, I'll leave it to you. All right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, move on. Before yeah, so we came, I said, let them do all the weird sexual jokes. It's not us. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's not us, David. It's inevitable yeah. for us to get tied in knots. Yeah. So that's amazing. So, so a singer in your, let's say your workshop, you would map them in Voce Vista, they would sing into this this spectrum analyzer and then you would change the boost mm -hmm. yeah. in their voice. And then how does that then convert itself into um, something the singer changes rather than you change on the software? It's so the cool incredible. It, it's yeah. like, so if we follow um, the principles of the Tomatis effect, you want to yeah. mention him really quick? Yeah, Alfred Tomatis is an ENT, uh, French ENT, he's dead now, but um, worked in large part of the 20th century, and um, his principal goal when he started out was to help um, construction workers and opera singers who had lost part of their hearing. Um, and then he realized that uh, by listening to filtered recordings, so all he was doing was filtering a recording so that it would uh, bring out the, like, Hi. yeah, it was about 2,000 to 4,000 hertz, and he'd drop the rest, and then he'd uh, filter out the lower ones, so like uh, 100 to 2,000, and he'd go back and forth. And he found out that in that process, uh, they, um, a part of their ear, the tiniest muscle in the body is in the ear, um, that had atrophied because of the loud noises. Um, it's actually a protective device for us. Um, that, that it had atrophied and so he was able to engage it and excite it. But the cool thing is, he realized several outcomes based on that that um, allowed for him to take that research in to help children with autism and to help people who had learning disabilities and to help people at incredible amounts of stress like PTSD um, because when uh, the ear regulates itself it also helps balance, it helps emotional control, it helps the body, f the brain filter sensory input. Um, so the Tomatis effect is... That what if we, we can only create the sounds that the ear can perceive. The voice can only create what we can perceive with the ear and then differentiate with the brain. And if we can change that, our uh, listening and the way we're perceiving the sound, the voice will just change automatically and lastingly. And so our experience is that if we, <clears throat> someone sings into the analyzer, we look at it and kind of determine, all right, I think if you had a little more of this, this would get you towards your goal. For example, the twang region, that 2500, 3000 hertz region. Like, okay, if we can bring this out, you'll have a little more bang for your buck, you won't have to work as hard, it'll be more exciting to our ears. So we just highlight that part, bring up the volume, put some headphones on. They just listen to it a few times, three or four times. We ask them now, sing along with it. Don't listen to your voice coming out your mouth, just listen to what's going in the headphones. They sing along three or four times. 
Take the headphones off. Now just listen in the air for what you were hearing in the headphones. They sing again, and we're hearing an immediate change in the voice. Wow. And radical. Yeah. And That's then we so and then we cool. send them with the recording and say, do this every day. And then it becomes lasting. Wow. Because you know what it's like? Somebody, the, the, the next person somebody's going to look towards for those um, sounds would be the idolized stars. Yeah. Like CeeLo Green, right, as major twangy singer. Somebody might be really into that. You Copy him. That too. Yeah. yeah. Take CeeLo, put it in the analyzer. Yeah. Filter the twang. But he's a physiological different animal to you, in which case, if you try and copy that sound, it might drag you into something that is too far away from your natural state or... Well, I would say it's... Uh, and we could argue about this or... or sorry, we could discuss this. It's certainly... It's certainly <laughs> I've, I've got an open mind, David. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think you just took the gloves off. <laughs> it's time. We're going down. Right. Um, I've got you, mate. I've got you. Don't worry about it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, her. they're lining up, yeah. right. But I've got her, so... You, yeah, yeah. Um, to, be, to be fair, I'm not going to hit you. <laughs> Everyone else is going to get one. In England, that's wrong. <laughs> I think generally it's wrong. Yeah. Um, but it brings up a lot of questions about whether it's physiological or not. And uh, I think what we've noticed with the way we listen and, and the reason why um, the traditional model of uh, mimic your vocal coach. Or your idol. Or your idol. Yeah. Um, it does have benefits. That's how we learn. But it, it has slower benefits than this kind of differentiation that Laurel's talking about because you're hearing everything, right? Yeah. Your ear is, is taking in all of the information they're giving you. And if it's in a recording, you're also getting all the information from the instruments and whatever. And so when, you, when your ear can really pinpoint the sound you're looking for, your body will make the sound, right? It's like your ear saying to your vocal folds, oh, this is what I want you to do. Yeah. And it figures it out. And so the physiological difference is less important because your body's not going to do what CeeLo Green's body does because it can't because it's your body. Yeah. But if it, if it hears the impetus and what you want it to create, it'll do it the way your body does it. It brings you so close to the experience yeah. for yourself. For yourself. Yeah. And that's the thing about singers creating voice qualities or even ranges half the time is they can't perceive or imagine what it would be like to sing like that because they've yeah. never done it. But yeah, putting that in their ear must be an amazing uh, revelation. And yeah. if we get down to those individual ingredients, like we all are made of the same ingredients. Like if, if I isolate 300 hertz in your voice and my voice and even in a car engine or in an animal cry, if I just isolate that single frequency, it'll have the exact same quality. And it's actually a vowel-like quality if we yeah. follow Ian Howell's research on absolute timbre. So there's nothing actually different that from CeeLo Green's twang and my twang if we just think of the quality of those that hertz range. But it's the way, what makes our voices unique is the way we arrange those ingredients. So we all the same, but then which ones we bring out more, a little more of this, a little more of that, gives us the individual vocal signature. Um, but I don't, it wouldn't actually matter who you listen yeah. to. It's the difference between how we perceive things and how we create things. Or we like to say vowel perception and vowel shape when we're talking acoustically. Um, so there are so many myriad ways that your vocal mechanism can function. A hundred muscles are going to have... In, you know, invariable options. Um, and then, uh, so we know what we're after though. If we perceive it, the body will come up with options. And then we can guide those options. Like for example, um, do you want us to show you a little yes, auditory? Oh, yeah. So um, I thought maybe we'd do uh, like the filtering, each harmonic, and then show like a belt sound that we bring into a mix. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, this is the analyzer and 
Do you want to run it? Sure. So I'll just sing a note and then, um, yeah, go for that first. Ah, turn it up just a little. Let's do that again. So we're going to turn up our input so we get a little more. Ah, cool. So if you were looking at this, you'd see every harmonic that I just sang. And right now, Laurel's going to isolate them. And then she's going to play back one at a time. And so we're going to hear um, all of my harmonics individually. So right. here's the first one. This is the pitch we perceived that David sung. <laughs> it's very quiet because the first one, it sounds like. Mm. The other ones will be louder. Hold on. I'm going to put my microphone over on it so that it's a little more clear. Okay, and then we'll go for the second one. Those, those super high ones, the, uh, as we know from Ian's research, the, the amount of E in that sound uh, yeah. is so distinct yeah. when e you get off. beyond 2,000, yeah. is it? Yeah, 2,500. 2,500. Now, she'll bring them all back in, and those people listening at home, you can, your ear will differentiate each of the harmonics as you bring it back in, right. because we've done it. love that. that. Then it's so simple to do with the analyzer. They always go, oh my god, all those sounds are yeah. my voice. Yeah. And it's on the way down, because they can hear each of the sounds then when we bring them back in, their ears start to awaken to all of that information. Yeah, because it's always there, but just having to wake up to, oh yeah, I hear the net result, but then I can in focus in on individual parts. Right. So as a coach, you are then, you're using your ear to establish which one is best to be focusing in on. Yeah. Yeah. To to bring out the, the based qualities. Based on style, based on efficiency. Um, and like we say, tell people who are kind of new to this, like, oh, well, which ones would I bring out of that to get what I want? Um, I mean, we guide them with, you know, in general and classical singing, we're bringing out some of the lower tones and belting maybe second and above for maybe harmonic. a more mixy, oh yeah, the second harmonic and above. Um, it seems that when people have a mixy sound, they're talking about both the first and second harmonic being present. So there's some guidelines in that way. And then knowing that that twang region is the most exciting to our ears, so. Which is this, if we just play Do it. you spend 75% of your time showing people the, the twang frequency range? Um, yeah, that's, that's a big one, yeah. It's a big one, I mean, because it creates stability. And just play that guy. So if you listen, you can hear, you can hear the whole sound in that. 
in addition to that really exciting kind of buzz that it creates. Yes. Um, and I happen to have a lot of it right there in my sound, and sometimes people will sing without much of it. And so anyway, if somebody sang and didn't have any of that, that means that their epilarynx tube is kind of unfocused. Um, a lot of adduction or vocal folds. Yeah, and maybe. so the vocal folds are having to work real hard. So if we want to make it easier on them, you know, you you pump that and you play it in their ears. And you don't have to sing with that. A lot of people don't. Like if they're on a microphone, jazz singers will often be that that smoky sound. But it's that's a stylistic choice, and we can talk about that too. But just in general, if the epilepsy tube is focused, it helps um, everything stabilize because it creates inert and switches that equation I used earlier. And then, yes. um, and that's helping to stabilize the vocal folds and everything in the vocal tract. So um, that's that's a place to start that can help people. And you know that um, uh, there, there's always uh, conversations online about epilarynx tube. And for anybody who's at, at home and then just like, what is that tube? Or can I buy one? Um, it's, it's the uh, it's it's just the little space above your vocal folds that's still in the larynx, and it has a resonance capacity all of its own that resonates very high frequencies as you just played there, which can help the vo voice with a lot of energy right and and there's there's talk of like oh yeah just narrow it and then everyone's like yeah how do you narrow it and then actually loads of people go yeah i don't really know i just do it just happens yeah. and so then through the sound so yeah. where are you guys at with the whole like you know that's important you know if someone has it overall inertance and efficiency to be amazing how do you get yeah. someone to find it some yeah. of my favorite exercises yeah we yeah. are tons of fun sounds to get people there um but like we say just describing how it's made like there's a one to six ratio between the epilarynx tube and the pharynx and the singer's <laughs> format will emerge you know like i am already exhausted talking about it so <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> um but so imagine then someone trying to do that thinking that and then like Oh, is this it? Um, yeah, it can lead to yeah. too much like trying to control it mechanically and yeah. then just being this kind yeah. of contracted yeah. mess. Right? So once again, like letting the ear guide the voice, letting people hear, oh, this is what it is. This is so much clearer than um, these words like, oh, a little brighter. Oh, wait, now a little darker. Oh, no, put it here. Oh, wait, no, that was too much. Like, I feel like that language we typically use to get people there it's just can be so vague and interpreted in so many ways so that this really direct listening. Now this is the part of the sound I'm talking about. It's here. And we're not gonna make it by squeezing and creating some shape that you can't control. We're just gonna awaken the listening to it. And, and oops. oops. Uh, we also like to play lots of games because games are a way to uh, engage that novelty part of the brain and in a way to uh, kind of lessen the dominance of the, the map kind of regularity part of the brain because when you're playing, you tend to be open to opportunity and to what's coming to you. Um, so one of the favorite games that I just play all the time um, is out, and I do this with choirs, because you know, with choirs it's harder to use the analyzer unless you've got a projector or something like that. I, I still do it, um, but you just, it's not as kind of one-to-one, -one, and sometimes you don't have it with you, or you feel less facile with it. So um, you know, just old school, how do we do an exercise? We tend to do them through games. Um, and so one that we love to do is we'll have people do like a toddler whine, the, I don't wanna, right? Well, when they do that, they play with it and we ask them kind of how it feels. And I'll even say, we set it up with, um, you know, pretend you're, you're like a two-year-old and you've been told you have to do something and you don't want to. So and then you kind of say, I don't wanna, and you want to, you know, and then they don't always jump in 100%. So we add to the game a little bit. Yeah. Like with one-on-one uh, -on -one students, I'll have them sit down on the floor and close their eyes and picture the toddler that they are. 
and uh, with my music theater students, they go all in. It's like it's a tantrum. They're, they're yeah. banging the floor. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes, I love acting. You know, that's, yeah. what, that's what they're. Yeah. 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 They'll leave the leave the room like a chicken. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh, you can stop that. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Let's guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it amazing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they they get that sound, and then we talk about what it feels like, what it sounds like, this kind of thing. Well, that's part of it. But um, one of the things we all know from uh, singing is that we tend to over narrow the first formant area, or the, basically the throat. We, we narrow the pharynx, um, all the muscles around the larynx. Um, we tend to overdo that all the time. And we think it's possibly because um, we hear, our ear wants to hear that 2500 to 4000 hertz range, that twang area. And so um, we narrow the vocal tract trying to reach it, um, but that's a fool's errand because the vocal tract can never get small enough to bring out that range. The epilarynx tube has to. And so we narrow and narrow and narrow trying to reach it, but we can't. And so we just f start failing because we're gripping everything and the larynx can't move anymore. Um, so when we do the, I don't want to, people tend to go, I don't want to, you know, get really narrow. So then the next step is, you know, picture yourself like an owl. You're in the forest, you got the big eyes, you know, picture your plumage. I'll have people sit up on a chair, you know, and make the owl sound. You know, you know what the, um, the thumbnail is going to be for this. <laughs> Oh yeah, I turned Alan. Catherine Sadlin into a into a unicorn. <laughs> so to be fair, yeah. I'll just put a massive beak on you. Yeah, that's okay. Head's doing a 360. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Again, uh, an opportunity for a gif. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> I want to see your head yeah. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> We're the owls with the yeah. big gold eyes. Yeah. So. Uh, so then they start making the ooh sound. Well, that's going to of course uh, lower the pitch of both formants, so the whole vocal tract is going to be more open. Right? And then once they get that sensation down, then where, uh, you know, the toddler walks into the forest and happens to walk under a tree at the same time the mad scientist next door is shooting their ray off and the two get fused and now we have a whiny owl, right? And so we get, I don't wanna! Now we've got space plus twang and they immediately notice that feeling. And then you can build that into ooh glides. Well, I've got lots of space, I've got lots of twang. And then you can take that and start to change the um, mouth shape while we maintain that sensation of openness and twang together. And so we start to build away from entrainment, which entrainment is where when we move one part, all the parts move. And we want to instead allow the parts to move independently. So now, once we've kind of got this sensation, and we do, ooh, oh, ah, you know, we've kept stability in our throat while moving the uh, mouth, kept stability in the epilarynx tube. Well, that doesn't take long. Most people get there, at least they have the experience within five minutes. And then they can practice that and, and kind of double down on it. You can put it in all the music. And we're creating twang without overly narrowing, right? And, and we can bring it into any style. Um, and I've had success again with, you know, the, the highest belters and the, you know, most rotund operatic sounds, all of it, with that same idea. Yeah. Because in all those styles, we tend to over-narrow and we tend to under-focus the uh, epilarynx tube. Yeah. And so that little game can, you know, it's not the only game we play, but it, it has a lot of traction. And I think, yeah, the idea, like, you can have it all. Like, we don't have to pick, like, oh, well, if I have space, then I must lose all the focus in my sound. And if yeah. I have uh, some kind of focusing, then I have to make everything tight. Like, we, oftentimes, if we just have these descriptors, we think it's either or. And that was kind of what I was talking about at Pava. Like, if bright is over here, dark is over here, so if I get farther away from bright, then I'm closer to dark, instead of, no, no, you have bright and dark. You Sound is both and, not either or. Mm. And if we get stuck in our words of it's this or that, head or chest, soft or loud, 
um, we don't embrace the complexity that and options we have. Yeah, time. it's so interesting. You're like obviously soft, perceptually soft sounds in opera singing that still need to be loud enough to go over an opera orchestra. Yeah. Some people are just like that's mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Because if you sing quietly, that's just not going to work. Yeah. That is soft and loud at the right. same time. It's yeah. a, it, the way, the way, and that's making physics and acoustics right. work yeah. Yeah. So that's breath for you. Lots of acoustic focus. Yes, yeah. exactly. Amazing. Yeah. You can have it all. Yes. You can have it all. Now, yeah. do you know what? I've, I've, just, I've just done the old glance at the old watch. Yeah, I saw you. Uh, I would hate for you to miss your show. What are you going to watch, by the way, tonight? We're going to watch. <laughs> There's a bathtub involved. There's yeah, some it's like an opera dance. in a bathtub. It's called Soap. We're not sure what's going on. We're but it's just, definitely for us. Like, yeah. like that's what we're gonna see. Yeah. <laughs> they, they they described it with lots of things that sounded interesting. So we thought, well, we'll try to. And the bathtub was the end. It was like, yeah. okay, right. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So so obviously you've been on a tour. Yes. Of uh, Europe, pretty much. Yeah, mostly Europe. Our first international tour. Um, I was at a new music festival for two weeks in Italy, and then we went and worked with Joshua Alamu in Malta, and Natasha Noctigal in Slovenia. And tomorrow and Sunday we're doing a uh, workshop here in London with uh, Lynn and Bast, and then go to work uh, with Jim Asurgu in uh, Cork with VoiceWorks Studio. Amazing. So obviously nobody can respond to that right now because this is well, this, this is weeks ago. Yeah, yeah they could be. Yeah, we can make them jealous. But for anybody who's definitely feeling missing out right now, um, where can they go to find out what you're doing in the future, online or in person? So voicescienceworks.org, that's the kind of heart of our whole project, is the website with free articles and warm-ups and videos, and we have a whole section on what other people are doing and a whole blog resource list. Um, and then we've got all of our events on that as well. With our newsletter, you can sign up and engage with us. We send out a warm-up of the week and um, just fun stuff to find online. And yeah, the next big thing probably join us with is our online courses where we dive into how to play with Voce Vista. You can join from anywhere in the world. And then in LA, uh, August 2nd through 5th, we're doing a writing for the voice workshop. So for composers, taking this information and asking, how can I communicate with singers and explore everything the voice can do? If we're not just thinking about the rules of, no, no, you can never write past this passaggio, <laughs> but more, oh my gosh, listen to all the components of the human voice and now what can we create that's one of our favorite things to engage with wow that yeah. sounds very valuable yeah. to underscore that a little bit we we currently do kind of four different kinds of workshops one is an on-site workshop like we're doing on this tour where we explore kind of all the things the voice can do for whatever given audience so the one in london are all uh, vocal coaches who have considerable experience so we're going to dive deeper into the technology in Slovenia, it was a lot of singers, so it was a lot of experiential kind of the games, and the, there was some talk of warmants and harmonics, but we did it through a lot of play and a lot of analyzer stuff so they could really experience it. Um, we do the composer workshop, which is, again, focused on the people who write for the voice and want to explore it that way. And there's an online component. If people wanted to participate, they could tune in that way. Um, and then we do strictly online workshops where one of them is focused on kind of using Voce Vista and the, the information ab about how to use Voce Vista to explain formats, harmonics, whatever. And then another one uh, dives into other softwares like Mata and Box, Box and, Silico. and Silico and kind of showing how voice synthesizers can be a really important tool. So we're doing one of 
those are ongoing and they happen you know every other month or so so if people wanted to participate in one of those online workshops you can do it from anywhere in the world and um, you can see them on our website amazing and that's great isn't it just showing the breadth of applicability yeah. Yeah. for um, voice science to different singers and coaches amazing where, where is um, voice science works and the work you're doing going to be in f what number should I choose <laughs> Seven years time. Oh God! Yeah. 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 Where do you see it going? Where, 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 where are you going to go? What do you want to happen? We're really excited to build a team. We're working with a new visual artist right now. Um, we have at least five books under us that we are just waiting to. We're working, we're working on. on them. We're like, yeah, nourishing them, getting them ready. Um, one, one, the two that are coming quickly. One is on games. And game on voice games. science. It's called yeah. Game on voice science. <laughs> and the other is the Smart Singers Revolution, um, which is more of a workbook, really simple explanations what, of what we do. Yeah, it's yeah. our answer to the academic texts on the voice, which tend to be, you know, you read past 15 words in the paragraph, and we want to say it in a way that immediately engages the reader at all levels. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I don't know if you read Amazon reviews at all, but they're quite. Funny, because you, know, you do read. I mean, I've bought loads of books that I hold very dear to me, yeah. but you read the reviews and it's like this is dry as <laughs> fuck. Like, <laughs> but let's let's try and make something more accessible. Yeah. Oh, so funny. And I think I, I don't know. If, I mean, are you asking me what book I'm going to write? But I just tell yeah. you, it might probably no, probably an autobiography. Good. Yeah. <laughs> everyone. Yeah. I think I'm at that point in my career, to be honest. You know. You can just be Amazon up. reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything but dry. Yeah. Please. Please don't give me that one. Um, amazing. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. It's great to talk to you. Really look forward to being with the two of you. It's just always such a good time. And you're amazing. And it's we, what we love about this tour right now is just getting to hang out with the community that that is the voice science community because it's so much fun, it's so interesting and creative and um, yeah, it's just a real pleasure. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and you know, we, um, we, we're kind of working our way through pedagogical worlds, right? Through this, um, what we, um, we would be 55 episodes by now. Awesome. And the great thing is, is that um, uh, we'll always come back around. Yeah. You know, and sort of revisit guests yeah. in a two years or three years, which I think will be when the box come out. Yeah, when yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, when you'll pay well, to come on. Can we, can we come on, please? Uh, no. We'll be, waiting, we'll be waiting, big by then, mate. We can choose. The autobiography is going to be on tour. Yeah. We're, we're going to need your review on the back, yeah. right? <laughs> An evening with. Yeah. Um, so yes, thank you, and uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll send you this to awesome. peruse. Yes. Edit out Edit. whatever you want. <laughs> so thanks to anyone for joining us. Like, we, like in the um, uh, as mentioned by David and Laurel, there. Get yourself along to VoiceScienceWorks.org for everything possible that we've mentioned today. Thank you. Right. Thanks, thanks y'all. The Naked Vocalist Podcast with Chris Johnson and Steve Giles. 